Thank you so much for being here, Royal Community. If you would love to support the channel, you can over on Ko-fi. Ko-fi is a platform where you can come over and buy us a coffee for £4 or 6 bucks, And that helps Rachel and I keep the podcast going, keep us on the air. So thank you so much in advance for supporting us. grand fanfare welcome to our podcast keeping up with the windsors dedicated to the royal family each episode will be crammed to the rafters with opinions news and commentary on the comings and goings of the family of windsor with your hosts and royal fangirls rachel andrews and michelle soul so grab yourself a cuppa straighten up your tiara shine your knighthood round up your corgis and let's keep up with, with the windsors Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Keeping Up With The Windsors. My name is Michelle. And I'm Rachel. Oh, Rach, we've got an amazing Royal Community Spotlight today with Susan Webb, all the way from California. Oh, I'm so excited about this. So excited. We read her book, Bertie, The Best Stuttering King. And it was so cute, wasn't it? It is. It's a children's book that is aged at seven to 12 year olds. And it's all written in rhyme. It's such a beautifully written book because it goes through the life story of Albert, who becomes King George VI, the Queen's father. And it talks about him and his struggles with his stuttering. And then as he grows up, as he uh, becomes a husband and also a father and how he deals with like the war and becoming a king. It's got so many good life lessons in it hasn't it yeah it's brilliant and it has beautiful illustrations as well this is although it's aimed for children we really enjoyed it as adults didn't we so we did if you've got kids grandkids or even if you're just a royal fan that loves anything royal then this book is definitely for you so we were so happy to speak with Susan she tells us all about the book plus about the time that she came over to London for the Diamond Jubilee and she's going to be here in a couple of weeks, Shell, for the Platinum Jubilee. Oh, we talk to Susan about everything royal. It's Also, it's just lovely to speak to somebody who is just as obsessed as us. <laughs> <laughs> I would say passionate. passionate. Yes, okay, you're right there. <laughs> Stay tuned as well, um, because we've got an amazing giveaway. Uh, Susan's going to be giving away one of her Bertie the Best Stuttering King books, and we will be running that over on Instagram and on our email. So, um, stay tuned for all of the info at the end of the episode so without further ado we give you season web hello susan welcome to the podcast thank you so much for being here Thank you so much. I'm excited to meet you both. And we have had the pleasure of being sent a copy of your book, which Rachel and I have read. And honestly, we think it's the cutest, loveliest book ever. It's so lovely. It's so good. I love it. Thank you so much. That is so nice to hear. Um, It's been difficult to get the book into people's hands because of the whole international situation with COVID. So to hear these kind remarks is so appreciated. Thank you. What inspired you to um, write this book? The book is called Bertie, the Best Stuttering King. So what inspired you to write it? Two words, Colin Firth. Yay! National treasure! (laughs) National treasure! (laughs) I have to say, I'm kind of crushing. I love everything about British culture, British history. So in 2011, when the film came out, I ran to the theater 
And I was fascinated. Well, number one, fascinated with Colin's portrayal, but then the whole look of the film with the foggy London skies and the clothing and the era and the national situation in the 1940s. And I was just fascinated. And I thought to myself, why have I never heard of him? We, here in America, we hear about Queen Elizabeth I, Queen Elizabeth II, Queen Victoria, and King Henry VIII. Everybody can tell you about those monarchs. And I thought, well, who is this gentleman? So I researched him, and I don't know if it's the same for you, but you watch a movie about a person in history, and you like the actor who portrayed the person, but sometimes when you research the actual person, you're kind of let down like, oh, mm. he or she isn't what I expected. But once I started researching about Prince Albert, I was intrigued. I was enthralled. He was, he just comes across as so humble and patriotic and honorable. And, and it just fascinated me. Why haven't we heard about this man? And so that became my mission to spread the word about this man. The film you're talking about is The King's Speech with Colin Firth and Helena Bonham Carter, who plays King George VI and the Queen Mother. Yeah. Is that your favourite film, Susan? Absolutely. I have probably seen the film two, three hundred times. I just love it. It is phenomenal. And I, uh, Jeffrey Rush playing Lionel Logue. Oh, I love those scenes together when they're in Lionel's office and they are shooting the little one line back and forth. It's just such an impressive film and the cast superb. I'm really glad that David Seedler brought this to life and brought it to a wider audience. And I am hoping to do a little portion of that for children and to bring this story to life in a rhyming tale. Yeah, because when I read the book, I wasn't expecting it to rhyme and then it started rhyming. I was like, oh, I really get this now. But why did you choose rhyming? Well, as we saw in the movie, The King's Speech, Lionel Logue, a speech therapist, used rhyme and tongue twisters to help the king and to help him overcome his stutter and control his breathing and his throat muscles. So I wanted to help young stutterers, young readers. So I thought it would be an homage to the king, plus also Lionel Logue and his techniques, and also be a tool for young readers. And who doesn't love rhyme? I mean, I was raised with Dr. Seuss. I don't know if Dr. Seuss is big over there, but that still captures my, my heart is that kind of a children's book. The story starts when the king is still a prince and he's a young boy and it sees him throughout his adulthood to the point where he's getting married and he's not supposed to be king. And then all of a sudden he's king, isn't he? That's thrust upon him because of the abdication of his brother. Absolutely. I wanted to portray all the little personality quirks and traits of Prince Albert from a young boy. So I put in his temper and his stuttering and I put in braces, leg braces in the pictures to deal with that part of his childhood, which was also very damaging to his psyche on top of having a speech impediment. Yeah, because he had not knees, didn't he? Absolutely. And then I put in uh, the sequence with his nanny who used to pinch him and deny him dinner 
So I learned from research that that caused lifelong stomach problems for the poor man. And so I tried to put in this history of so much struggle, but hopefully not in a depressing way, but showing that everybody faces something in their life. Nobody's perfect. Even if you're a royal, life isn't perfect. And then brought it up through adulthood and the dying of King George V, then Edward's ascension to the throne. And then, of course, we have the villainous American Wallace Simpson <laughs> coming into the picture. And we Americans seem to dip our toe into the British royal pond a lot. But um, yes, and then it, then it shows the great decision and the great courage that King George VI had to uh, show to the nation in a time of great need. And he rose to the occasion. One brother ran away from the throne and one stayed and really brought his nation through a horrendous time in history. And I wanted to show that you can overcome anything that you have in life. It may be hard and it takes a lot of perseverance, but I just think King George VI is a perfect example of he didn't have a desire to be king. He wanted a quiet family life, but he put his country first, his nation first, the security of his people first, and he did amazing things. He's a great role model for children, isn't he? And what I took from the book when I read it is the the big themes of courage and resilience. His perseverance and his story really stands the test of time, even today. We don't get told much about um, King George VI in school. And um, I think he's missing in our history, really, and only in a couple of, maybe in a hundred years time or whatever, they'll be talking about him. But in current UK uh, schools, we don't actually talk about him very much. So when we were reading this book, it was just lovely that you've brought his story to life. Well, thank you. And you know, that that surprises me because I thought I'd be preaching to the choir, trying to distribute this story to the United Kingdom. I thought, you know, old news, but uh, we in America never learned about him, my generation. Um, one day I asked my mother, I said, mom, have you ever heard of King George VI? And she goes, oh yes, he was the monarch who stuttered, but she couldn't tell me any more than that. Mm. And from my research, I found he's a phenomenal man. Uh, he overcame the stutter, but he was the first monarch to visit a U.S. president, and he came over and met with Roosevelt during the war to, to plead for assistance, and I applaud him for doing that. And he uh, obtained his pilot's license, and he was the first monarch to speak in front of the United Nations. He did amazing things. I hope this book will bring him out of the mists of time and introduce him to young audiences. How much did you um, work with the illustrator when you was writing this book? Did you write it first and then you sent the story to an, the illustrator or was you working alongside them the whole time? Because the pictures mm -hmm. are absolutely phenomenal, aren't they? They are beautiful. Thank you so much. I will pass that along to the, my illustrator, a wonderful gentleman named Sergio Drummond from Mexico. And he did a phenomenal job researching 1940s England, the, the palaces, the decor, the clothing, um, the scenery. I wrote the story first to, ask, to answer your question. I wrote the story in about a day, if you believe that. But then I spent 11 years redrafting it. 
So I started in 2011. I finally retained an illustrator in 2016. So that was about five years down the road. And I gave him my manuscript and I, and I said, run with it. He started off doing some illustrations and I was amazed. I didn't, you know, there are different types of illustrations. There's manga and then there's very cartoonish. And I wanted to portray Albert and Edward as realistically as possible. And he did a phenomenal job portraying the entire royal family in a very realistic manner. Uh, funny, funny story. Well, I think it's funny. The poor illustrator, he was probably exhausted with working with me. We were doing things by Zoom and by email. The last scene in the book, it's uh, the royal family on Buckingham Palace balcony waving to the crowds. The war is over. Everybody's so happy. And he put the entire audience, all of the onlookers, he put them in 2020 garb. There were halter tops and <laughs> ponytails <laughs> and there were fishing hats and baseball hats. And I went, oh my God, what is wrong with this picture? And then it hit me. You know, this is 1940s England. So we had to switch from ponies tails to victory curls and from baseball hats to fedoras and military caps, but he did a phenomenal job. So we've spoken about the Queen's father, King George VI. Let's move on to just in general, Susan, how, like, have you always been fascinated by the royal family? I have been. Uh, my guilty pleasure was always People magazine, and they always had pictures of the Queen or uh, William and Kate. And I'm sorry, I'm probably very informal calling them William and Kate. That's what we say over here. But I was always fascinated with royalty. And uh, this was just another wonderful opportunity for me to bring the story of King George VI to life. I actually sent a letter to Queen Elizabeth in 2016, and she responded. <gasps> well, what did you say? What did she say? Right, we're on the edge of our seat. <laughs> hang, 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 hang on, hang on. Let's, let's take this back. <laughs> like, was it, did she reply herself? Was it a lady in waiting? Like, tell us everything. We need to know. <laughs> well, I actually think it was from her, what do you call it? Her private secretary, you might call it over there. I sent the manuscript to the Queen in 2016, and I asked permission to please publish this book about her father, because I didn't want to publish something without her input or her, her approval. And I received a very nice letter back in the mail that said, thank you so much. We understand you want to write a book about the Queen's father, but we do not have the authority to grant or deny permission. So we wish you the best of luck with your endeavors. So can you imagine, I mean, probably you can as a UK citizen, but I received this envelope from Buckingham Palace in the mail. Yeah. Yes. no return address it gets to me across the pond in california and the only thing it says is er2 and it came from her to me <laughs> you know you're famous you know you're famous when you can use initials and your mail arrives yeah. mm, wow. you don't need a stamp fever yes no stamp no passport she sorted wow it does make me wonder if the queen literally saw the book or if it just went as far as the uh 
the press secretary or her personal secretary. I have a feeling maybe she saw it, but I am happy to report that last week I mailed her a copy of my book. Oh, that's amazing. Oh. What a full circle moment. Yeah. You never know, Susan, she may give it to one of the great grandkids. Wouldn't that be fantastic? You know, oh. little George could be reading it right now. You never know. <laughs> Oh, I hope so. God bless him. What a <laughs> what a lovely family. So you, have you been to London for season? Oh, yes, many times. As a matter of fact, I was in the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Flotilla on the Thames in 2012. Oh, my goodness, Susan. <laughs> Tell the royal community we need to know everything. How did you get this opportunity? What happened? I was looking on the internet one day and I came across her official website and there was a hyperlink that said, click here if you'd like to hear more news about the upcoming Diamond Jubilee. So I clicked the link and it said, enter your name and email address. I did. And about two months later, I received an email that said, seats have opened up on a passenger boat in the Queen's Flotilla, first come, first serve. And I jumped on it. I entered my information you know you have to enter all you know your date of birth and where you were born and your full name and all of that and two months later I was sitting on a boat on the Thames with my fascinator and my pims hailing the queen oh. as she floats by on the royal barge with uh, Prince Philip and Princess William and Harry and Duchess Catherine and Duchess Camilla, and then the extended family on other boats. It was surreal. It was the trip of a lifetime. It was, I can't express in words the feeling of the day. What I remember most was the noise, the mm. the uh, church bells. Was it the noise of the rain? Because it was raining, wasn't it, on that day? <laughs> Sorry, to, sorry to let you down. I mean, come on, we could have had a nice sunny day for you, Susan, but it just didn't work out. I'm really sorry. It was an incredibly daunting day, and I don't know how the how the Queen stood there for it must have been six or eight hours in the gnashing rain and yeah. the noise, the church bells tolling all over London, and the thousands upon thousands of people on the bridges and the banks just waving flags and cheering, and then the orchestras. And and the drum corps and the bagpipes on the barges. It was, you guys know how to throw a party. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, yes, we don't, we definitely do pomp and ceremony very well over here, that's for sure. Yeah. Were you two at the Diamond Jubilee? No, I was no. living in I was living in London at the time, and I remember the Jubilee because it was very hard to get in and out of London because of the tubes and the security and stuff. But I was actually just working on uh, that whole week, so uh, no, no rest for the wicked for me. I was working. Yeah, and I was just watching from home, and this is the first time that I'm going to experience it for myself. So I'm very excited about the Platinum Jubilee because it's a once in a lifetime experience to have. Mm. Well, I am just hoping the dear Queen is feeling well and is able to participate on some level coming up. It, it's just been historic. This is exceptional history, you know, in real time. It's so exciting. So you're going to be coming to the, the Platinum Jubilee? I am. I am flying out in a couple of weeks and I will be there for the Jubilee events. I'm not sure if I will be able to get as close to the festivities because, you know, they're cordoning things off because of COVID and having ticketed 
events and such. But I was another funny story. I went to the mall for the RAF flyover and the balcony wave Mm. at the end of the Diamond Jubilee. And of course, your lovely weather wasn't cooperating that day either. (laughs) Sorry again. Sorry for that. (laughs) And it started to rain. And do you know what I was wearing to witness the Queen at Buckingham Palace? Did you wear a um, poncho? One of those (laughs) ponchos. Did you wear a poncho, Susan? No, I am appalled to admit that I was wearing a glad trash bag. As a raincoat. <laughs> yes, Susan! In style, I love it. It's like going to Glastonbury. You just have to wear a bin bag. It just has to happen. It was it was meant to be. So when you was on the Mall, um, did you happen to see the King George VI and the Queen Mother Memorial? I did. And I wanted to ask you about that because I took a picture of that memorial. And then I saw your wonderful video where you were looking at the engraving beneath the statue and I don't think that was there when I was there 10 years ago did they add on to the memorial so when the queen mother when the queen mother passed away because it was just a memorial for king george the sixth and then when the queen mother passed away that's when the iron memorial was um built in but then when you go further up the steps that's where they have um there's like a rock should we say and it says this is where the original memorial was and obviously it's now being expanded for the queen mother as well i did not realize that well that is on my to-do list is to find that memorial and take pictures i'm so grateful that your nation has added on to it and outlined their wonderful history you you got to be blown away because even on the video obviously you'll you'll see what it looks like but in real life there's so much detail to that mm. bronze pl- like it's it's um a whole scene isn't it they just yeah. go from one scene to another scene to another and just take some time susan when you go because there's so much to take in and it's really it really does tell the story of them as a family and it's it's just wonderful it really is a lovely memorial i will look for it where is that located now is that um in st james park or is it uh... it's it's just on the mouth so you go past clarence house and it's on the it's on the same section so you just keep walking up and you'll see it's on the left hand side yeah fantastic thank you so you've been to see the queen the flyover troop in the color with a lovely black bin bag love in life um (laughs) but where would you you know you've been there you've done it what would you suggest Rachel and I do on the jubilee where should we stand where should we go what's the best place are we going to get crushed what's going to (laughs) happen You're going to get crushed. (laughs) I'd say arrive. We arrived about four and a half hours early to the mall. And we were already about, there were about three people, uh, three people deep back from the railings. And uh, the crush, as the hours went by, more and more people were coming behind us. But I do have to say, and I'm probably giving away a a state secret. uh, (laughs) Please tell us, please tell us. (laughs) But 10 years ago when I was there, because there were so many people along the Mall, I was nowhere near Buckingham Palace. I was at the other end of the Mall. And what happened was when the procession, the royal family went by in their carriages and their vehicles towards Buckingham Palace, then the police let people come down the Mall towards Buckingham Palace. I thought everybody right down by Buckingham Palace 
would be able to go right towards the gates of Buckingham Palace. The police directed uh, everybody away from Buckingham Palace, up the Mall and around the barricades, and then to go back down the Mall to the palace. So we found that by being on the far end of the Mall, we got to Buckingham Palace first. And I was right up by the Victoria Monument, right to the left of Victoria Monument, and the entire citizenry of the United Kingdom was behind me. I mean, how lucky was that? Glad garbage bag waving to the queen from the gates of Buckingham Palace. I think, though, if she had the choice to wear a bin bag, she probably would have done while she was waving to all the flotillas as they go by. I'm sure she would have. She had the choice. That's really helpful to know, actually, because we've never been there before. So we don't really know. And we were going to like get up at five in the morning and try and find a space but if if they are just redirecting people this doesn't really matter then does it i'm still going for five o'clock in the morning (laughs) but yeah i would check the barricade situation and maybe you can talk to some of these security forces and see how they're going to be routing people but i found the farther away you are down the mall um the easier it was to get down the mile afterwards. Oh, well, it's it, regardless of where we are, regardless of what happens, we'll be with the royal community. It's going to be a fantastic day. And hopefully, Susan, we give you a hug oh, in real that, life. That will be <laughs> wonderful. Are you going to be wearing any Jubilee headgear? I know 10 years ago there were pom-poms and jester hats and cowboy hats. And is anything planned around London for headgear or... Attire. I mean, you never know. A flag might be coming out at some point. <laughs> I, <don't know> about <laughs> I mean, I, I have to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take your tips on board. I'm just gonna grab myself a black bag. I think I will. I'll just take one of those. You never know. Do you with British weather? You just do not know. Okay, I'm fascinated about this question, Susan. I'm just about to ask you. Um, you live in America. You're in the state of California, but. I want to know what is the perception of the British royal family in America or particularly in California now, because obviously you've got the Sussexes living just down the road. Yes, they're only about 30 minutes away. I have not seen them. I don't hear of them getting out much to go to, you know, the grocery store or the gas station. But I think America is so vast that it you're going to find different sets of opinions There are people here who adore the queen and who are fascinated with the monarchy. And those are the people that went to see the king's speech. Mm -hmm. And then there are other people that are are saying, you know, live and let live. Let let, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan make their own decisions about how they want to live their life. Let them do what they want to do. Nobody should tell them what to do. You know, we're very independent minded people. So I think it will change from person to person. I am totally fascinated. I think uh, the monarchy has been a tremendous benefit to the nation throughout history. All the leaders way back to William the Conqueror and such. I think it was very necessary and a wonderful institution that propelled British arts and history and culture across the world. So I am fascinated. I'm not sure if every American is as fascinated, but you have your supporters here. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Who is your favorite royal? The Queen. Wente! Yay! Absolutely. (laughs) She is near and dear to my heart. And, you know, it's 
It's bittersweet. I am so honored to have the opportunity to join in her Platinum Jubilee events and to witness it. But it's the ending of an era, isn't it? Um, We're going to have three male monarchs on the throne, unless something unprecedented happens. We're going to have Charles, then William and George. And so in my lifetime, I don't foresee seeing another woman on the throne of England. So I'm treasuring every moment. I wanted George to be a girl. Like I really, really wanted George to be a girl. (laughs) I I said that, didn't I, the other week? (laughs) I was a bit disappointed just because I I just wanted that to be like boy, boy, girl again. I just could. I was like, no, not three kings, please. (laughs) Well, I have to admit, I actually just had a feeling it was going to be a boy. And so I I had a little um, bet running with my my friend and we were betting whether it would be a boy or a girl and the name and she bet it was going to be a girl named Elizabeth and I said it's going to be a boy named George so I won (laughs) I made $50 thank you George (laughs) what did you spend your money on I can't even remember now I probably bought more books on the royal family. <laughs> um, so you have you actually met any of the royal season or been in contact with them or know anybody that has? I have not, but if you know of a way to meet them, <laughs> I would love to hear about it. <laughs> and have you um have you visited any of the castles or palaces when you've been over here? Oh my word, yes. I I went on a private nighttime tour of Buckingham Palace. Oh, I have always wanted to do that, Susan. Spill the beans. What happened? Oh, you must, you must. It was the, uh, the another event of a lifetime. Uh, they opened up the palace in June during the Diamond Jubilee, and they had private 12-person tours at nighttime. And do you believe the French doors were open? A balmy breeze was blowing through the palace. The ducks were squawking <laughs> in the garden. And you're just strolling through these amazing rooms filled with masterpieces and decor and gilt and thrones. And you're just stupefied at the history that has gone on within the halls. And and then we had champagne out on the balcony of Buckingham Palace. The- oh, this is magical. This is like a film. This is magical. Did you um did you spot any corgis? <laughs> I did not, but I learned during my research that the Queen's first corgi was named Susan, and yes, I just, I'm finding all these serendipitous little uh, correlations, and you know, this week I was just writing t- uh, to a UK children's book author, and she told me that her mother-in-law's sister was married to Lionel Logue's son. I mean, wow. Wow. (laughs) It's all about who you know, Susan. It's all about who you know. So this project has been so serendipitous. And um, 10 years ago during the Jubilee, I also went out to Windsor Castle. You're asking me about castles. I went to Windsor Castle and I wanted to see the final resting place of King George VI. And wouldn't you know it, St. George's Chapel closed six minutes before I arrived at the door and they said we were closing it for a private function. And I was so disheartened. I had traveled from California to see the King's resting place. And so I walked away into the town, had some lunch, came back and I was sitting 
depressed and lonely on a little bench outside the door to the chapel. The door opens like, you know, like the heavens open and cherubs <laughs> sang. And the door opened and this female docent said, are you here for the family service? And I said, no, I'm here to pay my respects to King George VI. And she was a little taken aback, like an American and coming to pay their respects to King George VI. But she let me in and she walked me through St. George's Chapel and she took me to the alcove and she showed me his resting place. And I have to say it was very emotional. I actually shed a few tears and it was very impactful. And I thanked him for his service and for leading his country through a horrendous time in history and being so brave and not deserting his people. Mm. And uh, it was it was very emotionally impactful for me. So uh, it was truly the trip of a lifetime. We love St. George's Chapel. And when Windsor Castle back, opened back up, we went to the chapel and we actually were speaking to one of the volunteers there for about half an hour, wasn't we, Shell? Yeah. She was just so insightful because we were standing right next to the resting place of King George VI and the Queen Mother. And Princess Margaret as well, isn't it? Yeah. And we were like, why isn't there a memorial as elaborate as his father or his father's father, for example? And she was like, you know, he was a very quiet man he didn't like all the fuss and he wanted to be outside and where he's buried that is um, a part that they added onto the chapel that wasn't previously there Mm. and we just found out so much information we was like wow we never knew this and we got into like this really you know deep conversation well well, where's the queen gonna go when you know and what's gonna happen it was just it was incredible wasn't it yeah and what's lovely is they're so helpful and the fact that they allowed you in just it's just remarkable to me that there's just some lovely people People in the world and I tell you what Susan I want to be your best friend because you seem to make things happen I'm like yes I'm with you girl <laughs> yeah Susan who are you going to the jubilee with you can come with us guess in front of everything <laughs> absolutely I would love it fast friends but you know I have to applaud the chapel staff I think they are phenomenal I was mm. in I don't know what you call it the altar area of the chapel I was just sitting there And a wonderful docent came up to me and he started talking with me and he showed me the the queen's, I guess you call it her pew, her seat in the Mm. chapel. And then he was describing the various uh, plaques and such. And then he brought out a book and he showed me, you know, inside the chapel, there is that black slab that honors, I think it's Jane Seymour and King Henry VIII and King Charles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I said, are they literally buried below this slab? And he said, yes. And he brought out a picture. Do you know what it looks like underneath? Yeah. 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 It's a massive crypt, isn't it? Well, Mm -hmm. he showed me a picture and it was just like a pile of rocks and rubble with some caskets thrown on it. I was so surprised. Do you know, it's it's interesting the point you made earlier about King George VI memorial just being very unassuming. And it's interesting, isn't it? That um, So that's Prince Philip as well. Like she married someone like her father who was very unassuming, who was very quiet, who liked nature. Um, It's like, you know, she... She probably um, saw a lot of good qualities that were in her dad that was also in her husband. And it's it's lovely how they've mirrored that in a way. I think that is such a wonderful perception. And I never thought of it that way. I totally agree with you. And I think she picked well. 
And I think it's probably been very hard for her to see the younger generation and her children taking different paths and different spouses and seeing the way the monarchy is changing as time goes on. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like how times have changed since King George VI's time um, on the throne as king to where the queen is now. You know, 70 years, it's such a historic moment. But in order for that moment to have happened, she unfortunately lost her father at a very young age. You know, it's so unexpected the way British history works. Uh, you know, we never thought Queen Elizabeth I would be on the throne. We thought it would be Mary and Edward, and then it was Elizabeth. And here we are again with King George VI, and we never thought that would happen. We thought it would be King Edward VIII and then his children. And and it's amazing how history shifts. And, you know, I have to think there's a grander design. There's a greater purpose. Look at what Queen Elizabeth I did for your country with a Spanish armada and just bringing your nation through such tumultuous times. And look at, do you think Edward VIII would have brought your nation through World War II as well? I mean, we know there might be ties there with Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And so some people might try to vilify Wallace Simpson, but maybe the universe had a grander plan and she was the impetus to get that king off the throne so a very dedicated, honorable man could assume it. What's really interesting about King Edward VIII is he was primed to be a king, whereas King George VI, you know, Albert, he wasn't primed. He was the spare and how um, how disjointed that must feel to go from being somebody who was literally the Duke of York and had his family and was was safe in the knowledge that he was the spare to all of a sudden his, his dad's puts a rest and then a year later he is be you know he's having his coronation I can't even put my mind into how that must have felt for him I agree I mean that's why this book uh, has been a, a work of passion for me. I imagine it must have been traumatizing to have mm. such a difficult speech impediment and to just want a quiet family life with Elizabeth and his children, and then to have nature and the world and world events overtake him so rapidly. And he never, even though he was a very sharp, astute man, he wasn't training in politics and government to take over the throne. And it must have been incredibly traumatizing for him. And yet he stuck it out. And that's why I have yeah. to applaud the man. And I think as well, that's testament to the relationship that him and the Queen Mother had. They were very much beloved during the war because famously she was said, the king won't leave London. I won't leave the king. The country needs us. We're not leaving. Because they could have easily yeah. shipped them off to another country. I mean, obviously, princesses Elizabeth and uh, Margaret, they were sent to Windsor Castle. But the king and queen purposely stayed in London because that's where they were needed. And at time of need, you know, they was there to fulfill a duty in a service. And I think it, it is unfortunate that we don't know more about them. And it's only taken a show like The Crown or a film like The King's Speech to know more about them because we don't learn about them in school. And it's really sad when you think about that. It is sad because it's not as if this is ancient history. Um, the king died just 
nine years before I was born. So I was so surprised that, you know, he's just a generation or two before me. Why haven't I heard about this man? And so it's a tragedy, really, that he did so much for his nation, gave up so much. He gave up his, his life, his desires, his personal interests. I think it's just a tragedy that the poor man isn't more widely discussed. Yeah, and I found it fascinating that when he died, Winston Churchill had written on his wreath in valour. And that is actually something that's written on a, um, a Victoria medal. Uh, the Victoria Cross, and it was just his way of thanking the king for his service during the war, and obviously his service as as a monarch. But I think that was really poignant at that time to write that because that speaks volumes, doesn't it? It speaks volumes for his character, and your character is the thing that you do every day that proves the consistency and your internal fortitude to just stand up to a challenge and you know he he was very much that he was the epitome of keep calm and carry mm-hmm. on wasn't he absolutely uh, if i read correctly i think he started the the do you have a saint george medal that is given out to people yeah i mm-hmm. yeah i we think do. i read somewhere that he was the one that initiated that process as well to honor the people who who gave so much to your country yeah i mean Let's put it this way. There's there's no mistake that the Queen is remarkable because she comes from remarkable parents. I think he would have been really proud of her and the legacy that she's left. And it's actually very sad, isn't it? Because when people say 70 years, but it's also 70 years of her father's death. And so it's a bittersweet thing, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, in my letter to the Queen, when I mailed off the book, I I told her in the last paragraph, I hope your father, mother and Margaret are shining down on you on Jubilee Day. And I know they would be so proud of her. She has been an amazing monarch and leader. And I think your your country is very, very lucky to have her. Oh, Susan, I'm going to (laughs) cry. Susan, that was just beautiful. That was so beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. And that's why I really feel, I really feel that um, there is a purpose in life. And I just feel so bad for her that her father was wrenched away so unexpectedly. She's off in Africa and she gets this terrible news. She leaves a princess. She comes back a queen at what, 25 years old? Yeah. She has to assume leadership of the nation. It must be very hard for her to lose her father like that. And I hope she finds a little bit of peace and comfort thinking about her dad on this special uh, Jubilee weekend. Yeah. For all the royal community who would love to read Bertie, the best stuttering king, where can they buy your book? It is available on Amazon in the UK, as well as the US. It's also available on thebookpatch.com here in the US. And Barnes and Noble is also bringing it online. I just heard about 10 minutes before we started this podcast that Barnes and Noble is publishing it. You can also find it on ebook format on Apple Books, Overdrive, Baker and Taylor. So I I hope that uh, your countrymen will enjoy it as much as I've enjoyed learning more about your wonderful king. 
any links and uh, that we've spoken about and any um, ways in which to buy the book, I'll pop that into the podcast show notes for you. And also, Susan, you have a website and an Instagram. Is that right? I do. Yes, I have a website at www.susanm, as in Mary, Webb, W-E-B-B. And it is a fount of knowledge about birdie and 1940s London and games for kids and fact books and stuttering resources. And I really hope that readers will uh, find more interesting facts there. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. It's so honestly, I've been fascinated by uh, listening to all your stories. And thank you so much for your time. And thank you for being part of the Royal Community. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope I'll meet you two on the Mall in June. I can't wait for a cuddle. Thank you so much to Susan. That chat was absolutely incredible. I learned so much as well, Michelle. Do you know what is amazing about Susan? She makes things happen. Like all of a sudden she's like, you know, doing one thing and then she's in a, in London on a flotilla. Like, go <laughs> on, Susan. Or she's at St. George's Chapel when it's just about to close and then she's invited <laughs> in. <laughs> you honestly, being around Susan and her energy is incredible. We came off feeling so great. She's got such a great energy about her, hasn't she? Yeah. And hopefully we'll get to meet her on the Platinum Jubilee weekend. Well, our main aim is to give her a hug and to show her the King George VI Memorial when we're on the Mall, which will just be brilliant, won't it? Yeah, absolutely incredible. So we have got an amazing giveaway to share with you. So if you would like to enter to win Susan's book, Bertie, The Best Stuttering King, all you need to do is head on over to our Instagram. We will have a picture of the front cover of Susan's book. And all you need to do is like the photo and leave a comment saying, I would like to enter. If you haven't got Instagram and you would still like to enter, just email us at keepingupthewindserspod at gmail.com and just put as well, I would like to enter. That's all you need to do. You don't need to hashtag, you don't need to add anyone. (laughs) Super easy. This is open for one week. So this will be live from the 20th of May to the 27th of May. So you've got one week to enter and this will ship worldwide. So wherever you are in the world, if you'd like to win Susan's book, come on over and enter. Amazing. Thank you so much to Susan for giving us a book to give away on the podcast. I want her to do an audio book so I can listen to her voice. (laughs) Yes, she should do an audio book of Bertie the Best Stuttering King. It'd be amazing amazing stuff thank you so much for being here all community if you would love to support the channel you can over on Kofi. Kofi is a platform where you can come over and buy us a coffee for four pound or six bucks and that helps rachel and i keep the podcast going keep us on the air so thank you so much in, in advance for supporting us if you would like to follow us on instagram you can at keeping up with the windsors pod don't forget you can email us at keeping up the windsors pod at gmail.com And you can also follow us on YouTube. Just search Keeping Up The Windsors. We also have one more thing to ask you, Royal Community. Spread the word. Send this podcast to anyone who loves the Royal Family just as much as we do. Spread the word. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Subscribe and like the podcast in any of your podcasting apps you're listening to. Thank you so much for being here. We will see you next week when Rachel's back from holiday, looking like a a lobster, we think, (laughs) on Keeping Keeping Up up With The Windsors. Windsors.